I would like to acknowledge that this podcast meeting is being held on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respect to Elders, both past, present and future, and to welcome you to this new episode for podcast Square Peg Round Hole. Welcome to Square Peg Round Hole, the podcast where we discuss diversity and how to embrace our neurodivergent kids at home, at school and in the workplace. It's Lou here. Um, I'm not actually really sure where to begin, but uh, <clears throat> probably a lot of people listening. Sorry, my voice is going a bit funny. <coughs> I guess that's all part of it. Um I'm sure that a lot of people who are listening um, would already know that I have some news. Um, I've shared it on Facebook and other social media places with people that I know and so a lot of the community that I'm part of now would understand um, that this is quite hard for me to do this but I'm absolutely determined and It's actually made me more determined in a lot of ways. On the 15th of August, I was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. It's uh, an EGFR exon 20 mutation, which will mean nothing to anyone listening, I'm sure. It's basically, in layman's terms, a very rare mutation of the sort of cancer that non-smokers get um, often quite young people uh, often female um, get this cancer and it's the sort of cancer that lives in your body for quite a while before you realize you've got it which is what's happened to me Uh, apparently I've had this cancer in my body for a good couple of years now which is rather disconcerting (laughs) Um, yeah so it was absolutely shocking news to get that diagnosis Um, and I'm obviously still coming to terms with that and um, my family I'm also finding it very hard but as I said while I wait to start treatment and things like that I am what I found is that I'm actually still very, very determined to continue this work that I started to help the neurodivergent community so that um, especially for future generations that we can try and achieve some changes so that people, neurodivergent people, can be more included and accepted and understood and have a good life. And um, I still want that more than ever. Oh, gosh. Sorry, I'm crying. Um, Okay, let's get off the crying bit. Um, Okay, back onto it. So I, yeah, so anyway, I have this diagnosis and it's just something I have to do and live with now. And I just got home actually yesterday from hospital where I had a procedure that's going to make me more comfortable as I was getting quite breathless with one of 
one of my lungs was filling with fluid. So they've fixed that for me now and I'm waiting to start treatment. And I just thought, do you know what? I'm going to start up some episodes of the podcast again. It's a great distraction for me. And um, I really hate actually the feeling that things have just died down, um, been, been very quiet recently. So I want to start it up again. And so today's episode, I thought, would just be a kind of real um, impulsive one, (laughs) spontaneous, I guess is a better word (laughs) to use. Um, And so today I am going to actually interview somebody who I have only met very recently, shortly before my diagnosis, actually. And her name is Simone Wheatley Hay. Well, that's what her name is on Facebook. I don't know what surname she wants to go by, but she lives in Perth and is a mum of two neurodivergent kids and she just contacted me as people always have through listening to the podcast, I think it was, um, and wanted to get involved in um, advocacy in Western Australia. They've um, got quite a different situation to New South Wales and um, a very um, reluctant minister there. Um, no engagement with parents uh, and a number of different things happening that I want to talk to her about because she has been an absolute angel warrior. She has just really taken the bull by the horns in WA. She's always posting. She's always writing letters and emails and um, engaging with the Greens party there. And so, yeah, so uh, anyway, she's brilliant and I want to have a chat with her. I'm going to stop rambling on now because I think I might have rambled a whole heap. So how about we get on with this and you can have a listen to somebody who I think is a real up-and-coming parent advocate of the future. <laughs> um, it's Simone Wheatley Hay. So let's have a chat to Simone. Welcome to the podcast, Simone Wheatley Hay. Thank you for having me, Lou. Um, before we go any further, can I just quickly acknowledge the Wadjuk people of the Noongar Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land that I'm speaking to you from today, uh, just to pay my respects to elders past, present and the descendants, and to recognise the strength and the resilience of my local community. Oh, that's so lovely. And for those who don't know where that is, um, you're in WA. You've already said in the introduction you're in Perth. Are you um, in Perth? Yeah, I'm in the Swan region, which is actually an area of of historical importance. And, yeah, so Mm. we have a really strong and thriving um, First First Nations people community here. There's a lot of parents in my children's school who are really involved and it's, yeah, it's, oh, great. yeah, it's a very privileged to be on this land and, and to have Oh, that. that's fabulous. Yeah. Well, I hope I get to see that land once at some stage because that's on my bucket list for travel, which I now have, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely want to get to WA. Oh, that's where my family spots. are from originally. Yeah. Yeah, great. Excellent. Well, we'll do that. Um, Now, let's start with the icebreaker questions. I haven't said these for a while. I'm very rusty. Um, Simone, what is your favourite animal and why is that your favourite animal? Do you know, it's funny because my children, one of the things they're really passionate about is animals and um, sort of like anything to do with nature. And my eldest son and I share the orangutan. Because one of the incredible <laughs> things about them, besides just how cool they are, is how intelligent they are. Like, 
honestly, I've I've met humans who would be less intelligent. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, I love them. I love any kind of ape. Yeah. Like you know the chimpanzees as well. Yeah. They're so human like, aren't they? Yeah. It's, yeah. The zoos. One so of which one of your places. sons is? Is it your elder son yes, or your younger son? Who's... My elder son Henry, who is honestly he baffles me with the realm of his knowledge like we go to and yeah. for WA um, listeners they'll know where this is but we go to SciTech and we'll be in the presentation of like a hundred people and the expert will be presenting and he'll be like you're wrong <laughs> just pipping up there <laughs> and he's usually right which is the most funny thing about it but yeah he's of course he's, he's right oh my goodness yeah <laughs> I can't wait to talk more about him that he's going like a legend <laughs> um and my next question for you is if there was one thing in the world that you could change, Simone, what would it be and why? Oh, look, it's it's a no-brainer for me. I would make our community inclusive. Um, I would change all our systems so that every single person who's in it can access it, be welcomed, be safe, be recognised as a, as a valid and valuable human being with a contribution to make and, and rights. And at the moment, it isn't like that. Um, not just for neurodivergent people, but from any really diverse community. We don't do mm-hmm. it particularly well at the moment, and I'd like to see that change. Mm, well, you just mentioned our First Nations people. Yes. I feel yeah. very strongly about that group of people as well. Yeah. People with disabilities, like you say, yeah. anyone who's different. Yeah. The society still feels like it's just back in time oh, and we've just it, not it really does grown up. Um, one of um, our members actually said to me the other day that WA feels like we're in a 1950s time warp and I can yeah. honestly in so many ways um, relate to that um, I, I'm sure you're aware but the Disability Royal mm. Commission is actually in Perth as we're speaking um, talking about the overrepresentation of First Nations people in prisons here and it's it's mm. horrifying and it's it's a cause that's quite dear to my heart because that's kind of originally where I, I got into this kind of thing. Um, mm. Yeah, and Banksia Hill, I mean, I'm not going to go into it because I'm sure everyone knows, but the, the children there who are, I believe, all if not predominantly um, First Nations children, just the abuses and the trauma that they're being exposed to. And 90% of the children in Banksia Hill actually have some form of neurodivergence or disability. Um, so it's it's devastating and it needs to change. We we can't keep allowing people in our society to be abused and neglected and exploited and, yeah, time's up. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Yep. And that's why, you know, like I just said in my little intro before we came on and you and I have talked over the last few months. <laughs> it's okay. Thank you. We hear kids in the background. It's okay. <laughs> not the kids. Oh, there's a cat. cat. Awesome. Um, <laughs> it keeps it real. Yeah. But, yeah, what I was going to say is um, – I think given what's happened with me and this diagnosis, I almost thought when I first heard it that I would just be like, oh, okay, well, just I need to just walk away from all this neurodivergent stuff because mm. now my life's on the line, mm. you know. It's, this is far more important. Yeah. But I, I've been surprised that, in fact, it's made me worse than ever. <laughs> it's made me more determined than ever, I should say. Yeah. But I am, just, I, I am just disgusted and sick and tired of it and I'm just no longer holding back. No. I'm going to go for leather with all of this now because literally I'm on borrowed time and I'm yeah. sick of hearing that. Yeah. 90% are neurodivergent or have a disability and nearly all of them, I assume, I assume all of the people in that facility yeah. um, are First Nations as well. That intersection is just yeah. 
it's just we can't just sit here and look at that anymore no. I'm just over it no and it's yeah and it's it's one of those things like it, that I'm not um first nations person so it's not my story to tell but it's something Neither that am I. Like, I, no. I just we have to we just do because I mean yeah. I've seen from personal, we can be allies yeah, yeah. And, and I'm trying yeah. I'm learning um definitely don't yeah. always get it right same as I don't um, no, in, neither do in I. trying to be an ally to the neurodivergent community but yeah, it's, of course. I think I think, but at least we're trying. We're trying, at least we're trying artist. to do something. Yeah. And if I get it yeah. wrong, tell me, and I'll do better. So yeah, yeah. good on you. Good on you. Well, Thanks, I see Lou. you. Don't you worry. Thank That's why you. you're here right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's move on and start talking about you because yes. you're my guest today. Um, can you tell me? It's not a strong British accent. Ah, um, but there is no. a British accent. So tell me all about you, Simone. Start from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. So my family um, is English. We um, migrated over from Manchester, um, Rochelle in Manchester, when I was much, much younger, when I was in school. And um, I am divorced now, but I actually married an Australian man. So my children are Australian. But I've kept just the little, little twinge on some words and. Um, it's worse when I'm around my mum and when I'm drinking. So <laughs> luckily, none of those are the case right now, or else you might have a really thick Mancunian accent coming through. So. <laughs> well, you are Northern English and you are still in the morning over there, so it really doesn't make any difference. <laughs> I lived in the UK for long enough to know. Uh, and my mum's from Manchester too. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. My yeah, um, no, my mum's over there at the moment, bless her, um, visiting oh, with geez. her mum and her family and I can't wait for her to be back. I had no idea how much mm. I rely on my mum as a 30-something-year-old yeah, woman until yeah. she's not here. So, Yeah, well, you've mentioned that they help you, so yeah. that's really good. Yeah, and she's... Yeah. Um, she's okay, so you yeah. grew up there. Yes. When did you come out here? So we came out here, I think I was nine, eight, nine, oh, I believe. Um, yeah. Primary school age. So I came out here yeah. and then I went back when I finished high school for a year and spent some time over there and um, visited before COVID. And I'm hoping to take my kids back as well as soon as flights get to a price that is mm. within the realm of a normal person being able to afford them. Um, because none of my mm. family in England have actually met Fred, who is my youngest child. Mm. So, yeah, that's oh, that's really beauty. important priority for us. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. I hope that happens. Yes. And tell us about the kids. Oh, the, the kids. Boys. How long have you got? Um, I yeah, have well, two. I want to hear. <laughs> yeah. I have two. Both of them are uh, boys. I have Fred, who is five, and I have Henry, who is nine. Um, and they are, there's no words. They're just, every parent feels this way about their kids, but I'm sure mine are among the coolest people in the world. Um, they're so smart and they're so funny and they've just got this sass. And one of the things that I love so much is seeing, especially Fred, really find his groove with self-advocacy. And it's mm. funny because he's, he's tiny and he's got like a little face, like a little Furby. He looks like a cartoon. And he'll be like, no. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I said to you the other day, I was trying to get him in the shower yeah. and um, he knows about body autonomy now. So he's like, no. Mm. And I'm like, oh. Will I regret this? Maybe, but that's cool. You can wash when you're ready. I shouldn't admit this on a podcast, actually, but never mind. <laughs> yeah, they, they make my life and they, it's, it's my drive. I, I need a kinder world 
for them and I need a kinder world for all of our children, but especially our neurodivergent mm. children or other children who kind of come into it with other things that, that, that the world necessarily doesn't accommodate or recognise or support. Um, yeah, mm. I, I always think it's like they're walking around and society gives them the challenge of carrying a backpack of rocks almost. Like it's so much harder yeah. for them on a daily basis, not because of them, but because they're not given what they need or even mm, just the respect the and the recognition mm. that they need. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 100%. Yeah. And so when they were little bubbies, yes. how did you know that they were not neurotypical or what how, What sort of experience did you have as a mum? Yeah, so Henry from day one, we always used to call it just like his Henry quirk, but there was definitely um, – a lot of, I, I don't know, I don't want to say the word autistic traits, but there's a lot of those things that we associate um, with autistic people. Like he would line up his toys in this perfect perfect line and everything had to be very particular. And um, and he always struggled in sort of um, like when he went to playgroup or when we went. And now I look back and I think, my God, no wonder. Like it's like sensory overload, bombardment. Of course he struggled. But at the time he was the kid who was struggling and I was like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Um, and he actually went to kindy and that was when it was raised with us that what might be going on might be autism. Um, so it, it took us a very long time to get Henry diagnosed. Um, he spent four years on the public health wait list before I, yeah, before I um, had to get him privately um, diagnosed. Because it was getting to the point where he wasn't getting any accommodations at school and it wasn't seem like he was entitled to them. And while I don't think that a diagnosis is essential for people to to be autistic, because we all know the validity of self-diagnosis, unfortunately, the way things work with school and NDIS, he needed that that diagnosis. Um, Fred, again, school was really the the flag. Fred tends to be... His sensory profile is probably the thing that people associate most with him being autistic. Um, he has very, he's very sensitive to sensory input. He's very sensitive to becoming overwhelmed. Um, and so that's been challenging in early childhood, as I'm sure all of all of your listeners will know. It's like, I can't go into those classrooms. It's just like, boom. So, yeah. Um, and he is currently awaiting his formal diagnosis for autism he's had the pediatrician sign off so we're waiting for the second half um but he has a diagnosis of adhd and i believe they put odd on there as well but i'm not a big fan of the whole conduct disorder labels for reasons that we we all know um but they like them they like their their conduct disorders um when they're diagnosing yeah so yeah they do yes yeah <laughs> I, I always think of Mona Delahook, yes. Dr. Mona Delahook, when I think of ODD. Yes. And I remember asking her about that on my podcast mm. interview with her last year. Just, 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 I just love the way she speaks mm. about our kids. Yeah. And I'd like, I'd prefer to listen to the way someone like her talks yes. about them or the way you just described your kids when I asked you about them. You went straight to their strengths. Oh, and I love you. that. Yeah. It makes me so happy <laughs> um, because that's not always how it was for me. And, I love seeing a sort of younger mum, because you would be younger than me, you'd have to be, (laughs) Um, 
just going straight to that. It's so lovely. It's oh, really beautiful. Thank you. I just think you're way ahead of your time. That's what I love about you because oh, I just you. see Thanks. that you, yeah, well, good on you. And, and and it gives me hope, you know, yeah. thinking, oh, well, maybe people aren't all going to go through what it was like yeah. when, when it was my time. Um, it might get better, which is what I want. I hope so. so and and I definitely, yeah. like, I appreciate and I'm so grateful. That's a lovely thing to say. But I just want to, I know when I first started doing better, I was just carrying guilt around because I, I didn't always know better. And so I did things like, and I know you've talked about this with, with your experience. I did things like reward charts. I did things like, okay, your consequences, you're losing your tablet which is actually a really important self-regulation mechanism that you use like and I think back now and and I feel terrible I did those things I acknowledge that now I know better I'm trying to do better but it's it's definitely a learning curve and yeah we we don't know until we know and yeah. And when we know, when we we know yeah, better. we can feel guilty for the rest but of our lives still, about how we let our kids There's down. still lots of people out there doing those yeah. things, not realising, yes. well-meaning. Yes. You know, I never did it to be awful to my kids, yes. but um, you want to help? none of us would. Yeah. But they just have not, the penny has not dropped yet. No. So and, um, that's why yeah, this we're is, here. <laughs> it's something I'm really passionate about is sort of, I don't know, almost saying, hey, I, were, I was you. Like I was there. I, I even my kid did, I think, two sessions um, with a practitioner who I didn't know at the time was ABA. And even if I had, I wouldn't have known what I know now about ABA. But um, like I made all the mistakes. Um, and I, I'm grateful that my children are, have got the emotional, I don't know, warmth i suppose and and compassion and empathy to recognize that yeah i do make mistakes yes i did make some whoppers but i'm trying my best and i'm really sorry and let's do better um yeah yeah they forgive you yeah and they're such beautiful forgiving people they really are my um eldest son henry always says in this family we give second chances and that's just honestly every time he says it my heart just swells oh I love him yeah. oh that's wonderful that's yeah. that my Liam's always talks like this yeah. too that's so lovely yeah. excellent and so we got to the bit where they've been diagnosed yes. and they're tell us about the sort of barriers you've had at school and yeah. or the wins you've had as well the things that have gone well yeah and oh, what you've learned yeah so um I mean I'm not I'm not gonna mention school names um but my children actually were at a different school. Um, Henry was there from, I think he was there in year one, I believe. It might even have been pre-primary, um, all the way through until last year. And it was a very traditional WA school with their positive behaviour support and their class dojo and their buddy classes and their traffic lights and their all the things they do. Um, and he coped okay for a couple of years. I mean, he was always what... And these are the school's words, not mine. He was always behind. He was always not at the developmental level they expected. Um, and again, reflecting back, it's because those standards aren't, aren't inclusive of, of neurodivergent difference and they're not respectful of it. They see this one child who I have never actually met a child like that, by the way, um, and they use it as, as sort of the benchmark measuring. So, so he was struggling a little bit but kind of ticked along. And then last year... Um, Towards the start of the year, Henry, we saw a really rapid deterioration. And I recognise now, like he'd been masking for years and kind of holding it together for years and it just kind of blew up on him and he couldn't do it anymore. And 
fairly. I don't know if I'd have held it together for as long as he has, and he's a child. Um, so that happened. And at the same time, Fred, who is my youngest, who's five, he was in kindy last year, he started to demonstrate some of the things like um, school refusal or he'd come out of school and he'd just melt down and... Um, yeah just you know when you as a parent you can kind of see something is not right and you don't quite know what it is yet but you recognize something is not going well um and so long story short i i reached out to the school and i said hey hang on a minute i'm really worried about my kids especially henry um he's displaying all these sort of i don't know what the word is i suppose mental health concerns maybe like saying things and displaying like almost actions and behaviors that are really not what Henry like they were very out of character and they were real sort of red flags to me that something wasn't right um and when I kind of talked to him a lot about it and I, I did my background work and I did a freedom of information application and I spoke to an advocate and I made all the phone calls um it turned out that it was actually behavior management that was giving him a lot of anxiety um specifically things like buddy class and this particular school had a honestly appalling way of of handling sort of what they call misbehavior and they would put children on the bench outside the principal's office at recess and in full display of all their peers so like that's not okay with any kid but for a child who is already sort of struggling with self-esteem and is very aware of of how they may be a little bit different from a lot of their peers it was just a nightmare um and he actually it I, just stands out yeah. like an absolute yeah like flag yeah. waving in the air to us now yeah. but even back then I remember not realizing feeling feeling a yes. feeling that's not right but not really truly seeing that as abuse yes as I see it now. Yeah, and I'm the same. I consider it um, abuse. And it kept happening and my child had, for want of a better word, um, a breakdown. And so he spent six months um, just in pieces. Uh, he couldn't go to school. He could barely leave the house. Um, there were times when his meltdowns got so, and I ha again, I hate the word violence and aggression, but I can't think of any others on the spot. They got so dangerous for my other child because they were so big and explosive that my other child would have to go and stay somewhere else because it was so unsafe for him to be there. Um, and none of this had to happen. Like, yeah, children of his age don't experience severe mental health issues for no reason. Um, and so on top of the school thing, we ran out of NDIS funding. So I could no longer get him things like um, mental health support or the things that he needed, like OT. Um, and yeah, and we had amazing providers who actually continued on pro bono um, as long as they could, which just touched my heart forever. Um, yeah, but also the uh, public mental health support for children here calms wouldn't see my son because he's autistic and they don't like getting involved with children with a diagnosis and then ndis won't cover the mental health side because they don't see it as related to, it just felt like we we were just drowning almost for for months and nothing was getting better and then um i was actually on a, a facebook group and i came across dr green and dr green's uh his CPS which I know everyone listening is familiar with and that was really the point at which I feel like it turned around because it kind of led me into 
finding out more about how I could be affirming of my children's identity and their needs and and how some of the things that I was doing was making things worse without realizing it and um, and I honestly I say this to everyone implementing the strategies and the tools that Dr. Green developed and teaches and makes available for free on the internet which is amazing like who does that it, it I don't know if we'd still be together as a family now if if I hadn't come across that and members of the and I suppose and Facebook really and the Facebook communities and mm-hmm. uh, things like all these amazing autistic adults who give so freely of their time and energy just to help us do better for our kids um, there's so many groups out there like that um, groups like Square Peg where you can kind of meet a community of people who want to help each other do better and learn better and yeah just it kind of all fell in place and so it's it's been a slow process but we're getting there and we're back in school only part-time and that's been a battle too and and I'm not sure if we'll talk about it later but I'm, it's been on the Square Peg group so I'm sure a lot of people are, are familiar with it we're getting there we're not perfect and I can only fix things for my children at this point in time, but I feel like we're definitely on, on a healing path to, to putting the pieces back together. Oh, that's so good. Now I'm just going to press pause because you can probably hear my dog. Okay, so we're recording again. Okay, okay. Got to get my breath back. <laughs> this is how breathless I get. It's ridiculous. Didn't even go up any stairs or anything. Okay. So, Simone, that is so interesting that the only thing really that really helped you in, a, in when you said, as you said, you were drowning in all of this ABA, behaviourism, wasn't working, distress, mental health declining, all these awful things happening. And the only thing really that sort of got through that was CPS yes. and Dr Green arriving. And he is our He's a legend and he's just, there's no words really to describe what a wonderful man he is and how wonderful his program is and any other neuroaffirming things like um, the polyvagal theory and other inclusive um, practices that can be put in place and things like that and Mona Delahawk and Greg Santucci and all these amazing international experts. But what strikes me about all of that is as a parent sitting in little old Perth in Australia, you had to find some guy over in the US. <laughs> like, what? why is this not, how do we get from this um, situation yes. where parents are just on their own, wading their way through it as we all are, relying on other people to sort of come along and help them to see the light. Our systems, our education system, being the first place that our kids go where we're not around them um, seems to be the place where this all goes wrong over and over and over again. We just need someone there to bring in something like this so yes. that it can't just keep getting repeated. No. Isn't it frustrating? Oh, it's, it's so, unbelievably frustrating. And, and I was at, we were mm. actually talking about this um this morning but a new member of our group in WA who was actually giving me um, permission to to talk about this 19 times this school year her child has been suspended her neurodivergent child she's been offered no support for her or her family the school has not done anything different she said to me I'm out of leave 
Like it's getting to the point where what do I do? And this this isn't unusual. It's not the only time. I know. That's just what I'm getting at. It's, it's not yeah. unusual. It's not uncommon. No. It's not unusual. It's it's not like it's a minority or a tiny thing that's happening just to a small group of people. Mm-hmm. It's no one's fault. It's happening to them. Mm-hmm. And yet it just keeps happening. Um, there are people, yes. okay, we know there are people yes. in charge that could do something about this that just refuse yes. to engage with us on this. Yeah. So why don't we get to talking a little bit more about that? Yes. Tell us about, I mean, everything you've said so far could be repeated all around the country. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's everywhere. Yeah. But tell us about what specifically is happening in WA that really concerns you and other parents in WA? Yeah. So there is, and this was noted um, in the commission when Stuart Percival, who is apparently the head of director and inclusion, but couldn't just define inclusion, um, spoke, uh, there is no data, there is no transparency, there is no accountability, there is no unbiased independent pathway for support. It's just the education department and everything that you would normally think, okay, I'm not, it's not working, let's escalate it, let's speak to these people, let's, they're all part of it. So they're, it's, it's very, very difficult to get any kind of support or help that would involve anyone admitting anything is wrong. So very interesting because here in New South Wales, we also have, obviously behaviourism in place and huge numbers of suspensions and things. However, we do have reference groups for that parents and advocacy organisations sit on where they consult with and advise and negotiate with the Department of Education yeah. around policies that are around behaviourism, that are around disability support and inclusion, professional learning for teachers, and all of those things, they welcome at least a, a seat at the table mm. for parents to discuss these issues and provide some insight and advice to the Department of Education. So are you saying that the Western Australian Department of Education have completely stonewalled and blocked parents yes. from yes. engaging whatsoever? Yes. Um, it, it, and look, I, I don't know if somewhere there is something like what you're talking about, but I do know I've spent an awful lot of time digging around the Department of Education website and reaching out for help and I can't find anything. Um, I, I can That's see things like um, we consult and collaborate with parents and like I can see sort of buzzwords that mm, are yeah, we trying have to make it look like they may be doing these things but actual on the ground tangible action and collaboration and consultation is really school by school and I mean I've been lucky at my most recent school that my kids are at they have been amazing like we've had mm. problems and I've written them a letter um, and I put that on the square peg group but they came to a case conference and unlike previous experiences where it's been like, Dung, sorry for your feelings, yeah. sorry you're interpreting it that way, I actually got, okay, mm. what can we do better? What should we do? Yeah. How about this? How about that? And I felt respected Very and unusual. heard mm. and I could see they valued my children as unique and incredible little people, like as all children are. Um, and it should not be up to the school who decides whether or not it works for your kids. Um, No, because you had to go through that, you had to go through that hell on earth before, which has 
left your child traumatised. So there's no excuse. Okay, things are good now. Things are good now for me too. My son's 14. Doesn't undo But that well. doesn't mean that it was awful. It wasn't awful before. So it's about systemic change, isn't it? It's about actually changing things from the beginning yes. systemically, yes. not just one-on-one oh, for sure. and potluck yeah. if you get so a decent human to deal with. Absolutely. It's just not on. Hi, it's Lou here. I'm just interjecting in this part of the conversation. This podcast episode was recorded um, a fair few weeks ago now, but because of me being sick, I've taken a long time to edit it. Since we had this conversation about Minister Ellery refusing to engage with neurodivergent people or parents in, um, in any respectful kind of fashion, we have received the answers to questions that were put to her by Dr. Brad Pettit from the uh, WA Greens. And he put these questions to her uh, on notice in Legislative Council in WA. And we will be providing those questions and answers that we put together um, as Square Peg Round Hole. And one of the answers that um, was provided was that Minister Ellery claims that parents and people who are neurodivergent are consulted with regularly. We know that not to be true and that is because we have the actual information from the Disability Royal Commission public hearing from uh, earlier in the year. Mr Stuart Percival was interviewed by uh, a lawyer, Ms Bennett, and she actually, Ms Bennett actually asked the question about this. So she asked, no, I think the question was, does your department fully engage with people with disability in its development of policies and procedures? Mr Percival's answer was, fully, no. So that directly opposes what Minister Ellery has said in her answers to the Legislative Council questions. And we just wanted to clarify that for you. That's an update and we will be providing more further updates as we go through. And I want to mm. recognise as well, I'm, I'm privileged in that I have the capacity and the ability to advocate for my children. I know their rights, I know what they're entitled to, and I know exactly how to speak up when that's not being met. That's a privilege, and it's not mm, one it is. that it shouldn't be a privilege. There should be access no. to advocacy for all people, no matter their communication preference or community language or personal situation, and it isn't. Yep. Um, so just yep. having access for parents who get lucky to make things better with their school is not enough because there no. are so many parents who, for whatever reason, aren't able to do that. And yep. it's 100%. Not I've spoken about this yeah. before. Yeah. Yep. Yep, it's not okay. It's not enough. And I guess we are in that privileged position. So that's why we're doing what we're doing to try and be the voice for those other people and help them to uh, step up, but also to speak um, with them and give them the platform to be able to speak up as well and and achieve what we've achieved, which, you know, isn't easy. And um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about Okay, we've talked about department level at in WA. Yes. So normally if you're not getting anywhere with engagement with the department, you would then write to their boss, who is the Minister for Education. Her name is Minister Sue Ellery. Yes. Tell me about the experience of trying to engage with her. Sure. So I myself 
um, have written to Minister Ellery's, and I'm going to give her a title out of respect because that's the only respect she's getting from me because I don't mm. think she cares about our children. And if she does, mm. she's certainly not showing it and she's certainly mm. not doing it in a way that helps my children. Um, <laughs> I don't feel like Minister Ellery is accountable to the people of WA, to the people that it is her actual job and her main duty to represent and work for. I don't feel like she is. Um, she And we have both experienced this personally. You comment on her social media and unless you're like, great job, so blocked. You send her an email yeah. and she doesn't like your what you've said, she will either ignore you, which has happened to many people that I've spoken to, or send you like she did me, sorry to hear about your troubles, this is best handled at a school level. If I'm writing to you and telling you I've tried to do, and I included an email chain, by the way, with the school. I had Mm. tried. I didn't go straight to the minister. I tried all the recommended pathways. She was my last resort. And without telling me she was doing it, she just sent it straight back to the school and sent me a letter saying Mm. I've sent you back to the school, which A, is potentially dangerous um, if people are kind of, reaching out for help because they're vulnerable and they're being referred back to their abusers is horrifying. Um, she just does not listen. And I don't understand why I, I, mm. we have here in WA and I, and I know, um, I'm sure it's the case in other States too. We have a zero tolerance policy, um, and a 10 point plan, which is in response to school violence, especially specifically violence towards staff and teachers. And teachers should be safe. Staff should be safe. Violence is never acceptable. But the answer is not to take this child who is, let's face it, probably a neurodivergent child or a child with complex needs or a child with trauma who is lashing out because they are hurt or they are scared or they're not having their needs met. Um, And then just say, sorry, you're not welcome here anymore. Again and again and again and again. And nothing is changing and I don't believe it's making anyone safer I don't think it's making teachers safer I don't think it's making school staff safer and it's certainly not making our children safer um it's really not because those young people cycle through the criminal justice system is where they end up so how is that making society safer filling up our prisons yeah Oh, okay. That's not a resolution. Like we put 10 year olds in prison in WA theoretically. It is just, yeah. So no one is winning and she's not listening. She's not listening. She's not listening. There's also the problem that we have in other states of the internal um, appeals and complaints process or that process as well where the minister sends the concern straight back to the school, which, as you said, is actually dangerous. Yeah. Um, I believe that too. Um, but also if you wanted to follow the normal method of complaining, and this came up with Stuart Percival in the Disability Royal Commission hearing, um, the complaints process is all internalised. Yes. It's all done internally so there's no lack of bias. It's just completely unfair. Yeah. So we come back to the whole systemic thing again. Yeah. WA just appears to have a minister who is extremely extra mm-hmm. um, reticent to engage or communicate whatsoever so I think that you and I should take this opportunity to make a call out to her yeah um we are going to give her one more chance aren't we to actually meet with us yeah um speak with us 
and we're going to be making that um, request of her publicly coming up. So keep an eye open for that. And if anyone listening here, especially if you're in WA, want to support us in that, the best thing you can do is to sign the CPS petition and help that to get to the 25,000 signatures that we need it to get to. We're constantly posting that on the square peg round hole pages. There's the central page. There's also the WA page that Simone looks after. And we would just like more and more signatures on that and we would like more and more letters to the Minister in support of what we're asking for. Yes. Yep, absolutely. And I always say if she won't engage with me, don't engage with me, but engage with the community you're affecting. So speak to people with disabilities, speak to neurodivergent people, speak to autistic people, don't speak to people who are, do you know, like if we do that, really that's going to start fixing things already. So Yeah, and surely she wants things to get better so that more kids are going to school yes. in WA. You'd hope so. And and all of the academic figures look better and yeah. mental health figures look better. I mean, putting your head in the sand is not going to resolve these problems. No. So let's work together yes. to try and find some ways yes. to make things better. We know what those ways are, don't we, Simone? We do. So, I, I think going back to the orangutans, I'm pretty sure even they'd click. So I don't <laughs> understand why Sue Ellery isn't listening to her community. Um, and it's not just Lou and I and it's not just Square Peg. There are so many voices out here saying change, change now. Children are being traumatised, children are being hurt. We're having children who are um, losing their lives in WA because of the way school is and no that shouldn't happen to any child certainly not because of something that is clearly and easily preventable through change at a school level absolutely so in the show notes and on both of those Facebook pages we'll put lots of links and um, direction and guidance about what we need other parents to do to support what we're trying to achieve yep. and we'll get going on this on the ne- in the next couple of weeks as yes. I'm now home from hospital Yay. and able to start doing a little bit more. So let's focus on getting something happening there and if we can even get a response from her, a meeting yes. from with her, that would be a major achievement and step in the right direction for our kids, wouldn't it? Yes. Hi, guys, it's Lou here again just to um, interrupt again. I have an update for you with regards to a face-to-face meeting with Minister Ellery. Since recording this podcast episode, we have been granted a face-to-face meeting with Minister Ellery and the Director General of the Department of Education. I believe her name is Lisa Rogers. I won't obviously be attending those meetings, but Simone and some other square peg round hole parent advocates will be attending those meetings face-to-face. Now, we know that we've got those answers back from the Legislative Council questions that were asked by the WA Greens um, and that will give us a good platform to further question the Minister and the Department of Education as to where things are going to progress in regards to the inclusion of and the support and care of neurodivergent students in WA. So we are making some progress. This is great. But what we need is more and more from WA residents and parents who care about their kids at school, which is you listening to this now. So please follow the instructions of Simone on the Facebook page. There'll be many links in the show notes and we just need you to keep up the momentum. Thank you so much.
Absolutely. And um, just to encourage people here as well, as well as writing to Minister Ellery, write to your local MP, even write to your local council member. Um, anyone who has any kind of importance or, or has any kind of voice that can help amplify what's going on um, hmm. is just so valuable. And I mean, I've said this to Lou, I'm sure I've written a hundred emails <laughs> to people saying help. Yeah. And we're getting to a point now, people are not many, I'll give them this, but we've got a meeting with um, uh, the Honourable coming up in a couple of weeks with a few Square Peg members. Um, we all know the Greens are amazing and shout out to Brad and Jordan who have got questions in Parliament for the WA yes. people that are awaiting answers. So you never know Thank when you. the person that you write to is actually going to be the one who can help. So try everyone. You just want someone to listen. That's the bare minimum. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you have to really demand it and you have to just keep at it, don't you, which mm. is what I love about you and <laughs> noticed about you straight away was like, I was like, oh, my goodness, I think she's as bad as me. <laughs> she just doesn't stop. But you have to. And then look at that. You get a little win like that yeah. and that's how it goes. Yeah. Eventually you find allies in there. Yes. It's just a matter of time and just absolute tenacity. Do not stop. But you need the people behind you as well. You shouldn't have to do this yes. all on your own. And I know you've got a few people, especially in the WA group, who have been fantastic. Yes. What we need is the volume now. Yes. So even those who are just sitting in the wings watching all of this going on and maybe not feeling confident to step up, just please follow the instructions that Simone gives you and just do that and that will be doing an amazing uh, thing to help. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, just to speak here, because I know this is a conversation that Lou and I have had and that I've had with lots of our members, the WA, anyone who works for the public sector in WA is actually not, they have got some really rigid rules around what they're able yeah. to do. So one of the things that we're working on is looking at ways that we can support these people who are um, professionally for whatever reason, unable to get involved with public advocacy or email their MP. There are things like the petition, sign and share the petition. We can advocate for action without being critical. Um, there are ways. Mm. And yep. I'm sure I know Lou, um, myself, there are so many members. We will help you find ways to advocate that don't risk your job if that's something you want to yeah. do. Of course, so, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. put a comment up, put a post up saying, hey, looking for whatever and we have got some really smart people there who have got really creative ideas and um yeah we have lots you really of members do. you've who, got sarah yeah. you've yes. got what's that Gary, like, yeah very who, knowledgeable yeah. um who is actually yeah. she's yeah honestly puts my advocacy to shame she sends me a message and she's like i've done this 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 and i'm like oh, where have you got the time and the energy so yeah there's a lot of people that are working we do. that's really yeah. good we have some incredible members and it's a privilege to have met those people so thank you Lou because no you're very welcome I'm so glad you contacted me all those months ago now <laughs> um is there anything else do you think that we want to cover no. um, in your episode today I feel like I've just babbled so I hope someone gets something <laughs> well it's a bit of a conversation piece this one but I'll put a lot of links and things in that yes. in the show notes and we'll put yeah. them on the page when we launch it yes. and um hopefully we'll get some traction yeah happening. absolutely and I mean just to go back to the thing that I know you and I are both incredibly passionate about even if you don't listen to us listen to the community um yeah 
talk to I strong yeah anyone who's writing to MPs please try and include that as a specific ask things like engage with autistic led organizations and neurodivergent mm-hmm. people um yeah yeah just people who have lived talk through, to the people this yeah effect. they've yeah. been to school they've been challenged by school they know how it feels to be kids who are not neurotypical kids in schools and how it's yeah. a struggle so yeah. even if you won't listen to Lou and I listen to those people because yeah they're talking yeah. and you need to listen <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely need to listen that's why yes. we've got a disability royal commission yes. happening right now yes geez yes anyway <laughs> oh. um so Simone just before we go um I just wanted to ask you one thing about the fantastic idea you had about the Disability Royal Commission and a group submission that I think would be amazing for all states to do. But I know you had this idea for WA, so tell us about that. Yeah, okay. So one of the things that um, the McGowan government has issued as a as a premier circular to all public departments was a uh, then a public sector employees aren't allowed to give submissions to inquiries or investigations. Um, including commissions like the Disability Royal Commission. Um, There is mechanisms for it to be done as a private citizen, but there's lots of like be aware of our code of conduct around it. So one of the things that we're hoping to do is submit a de-identified collective submission um, based on the experiences of um, basically people in the WA community. Because when I rang the commission and and was giving my personal um, sort of information to them they said they haven't heard a lot from WA and they specifically haven't received a huge number of submissions from um, WA with regards to education and I like it takes time it takes energy to and a lot of people don't have the spoons to do the full-on submission so we wanted and um, Lou and I are doing this together by the way she's not taking credit but she's definitely I don't feel like I've done anything (laughs) but anyway keep going (laughs) So we have set up an anonymous online submission box where people can put in anything from a couple of sentences to a novel um, about what has happened to their family. And so what will happen is in a couple of months' time when we're ready to do that, when we've received enough, we will take all of this, um, all of these submissions, which, by the way, are completely anonymous, not even Lou or myself will see who they're from. Um, there's no personal information collected. Um and we'll put together a almost a compendium or a brief of, of what's happening in WA schools um, and really try and bring it to the attention of the commission. Because one of the things I, I didn't know until I spoke to them was they don't do, I believe, and Lou would know better than me on this, so correct me if I'm wrong, independent information gathering. So they won't go onto school websites and pull up policies. They won't look at things that aren't submitted to them as evidence. So unless one of us in the community says to them, hey, this is a problem, this is going on, they don't know. And the policies that they do have don't include things like timeout, buddy class, um, all the things that come under, say, classroom management, but which we all know are actually not classroom management. They're even, most of them are restricted practices, let's be honest. Yes. Um, yes. So we need people to put in submissions. It, it can be a sentence. It can be, like, as I said, a novel. You can message me directly. You can, I'm sure, message Lou even. Any any of us are happy to take it and pass it on and it'll be used 
respectfully and productively um, in a way that recognises the dignity of, of these children um, and the challenges and the suffering that they're going through in education. Um, this is so good. Yes. Yeah. We, we don't want to make these children into victims. We want to make them into survivors because they're, yes. Yes. they're little citizens and they have human rights and we need to protect them until they can protect themselves and the Disability Commission can't do anything unless we give them the information that they need. So if you do mm. nothing else and you have something to say, let us know what's going on with you and we will make your voice heard. Absolutely. Now, a couple of things about that. You are so right. It's not actually evidence. It's about people's experiences. So you don't have to prove that this happened to you. It's not, you're not in a court of law. You are sharing your experience that happened. And that can be as little or as big or anything. The terms of reference for the Disability Royal Commission are very, very broad. Mm -hmm. And so whatever you say, you don't have to prove that you were at that school at that time or say the school's name at all. It's just what happened to you or your child and just that's what happened. That's it. End of story. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, we have until the end of the year yes. to, to do this. The Disability Royal Commission will stop taking submissions at the end of the year. So we need to hurry and get them in as soon as possible. So please do that. Please Please do, I will put the link everywhere so you won't miss it um, to, to put this information in and we will gather that and collect it and put it together. Uh, one quarter of the submissions that have been um, collected so far are about education. So something's really not right there if the Commission are telling us that WA are very low on what they're reporting around education because that doesn't match up with the rest of the country. No. So there's a warning, warning, warning. We need to make sure that it gets, it gets actually representative of what's, what's happening. And the other thing I wanted to say about the Royal Commission is that what I learned when I was working in that role um, as an advocate for the Disability Royal Commission was that a lot of people, and this is just across the board, a lot of people think when they see abuse, neglect, exploitation, that they can only report information of, about what's happened in terms of whether their child was hit or assaulted or something like that um, or whether they have been themselves. That is just a, a mindset. It's not that at all. It can be about good experiences you've had. So, for example, if you've gone to a school where they've started using CPS yeah. and yeah. that would be something the Commission definitely need to hear because what they will be reporting on and re making recommendations around as well are the good things that are happening in education. So talking about the good things that you recommend that have been a good experience, but also talking about neglect. And you mentioned before, Simone, that a lot of the things that happen to our kids at school are actually restrictive practices or they're actually neglectful practices that people think is just acceptable and it's not. Dojo points is abuse for a child with a disability like our kids. So that needs to be reported for what it is. So that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> Finally got it out. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, so thank you very much for that idea. And I really encourage everyone to, we've only got a few months left, please, please put your submission in, put it in on your own or click on the link that we're going to give you. And all you have to do is write a paragraph 
on what happened and that's it and that's enough. So uh, thank you for engaging yeah. with that. Uh, Quickly before we go, I remember I was having this conversation about my personal submission and how my children can submit. So maybe you could just give a a sentence, Lou, about all the different types of um, submissions that they're accepting. So only 6% of submissions have been from children with disabilities. So they are so grossly underrepresented in the submissions to the Royal Commission and your lovely boys I know have done a submission. (laughs) Wow. That's because they're awesome. And so if, if you've got a child that you think is able to um, and wants to speak up about what's happened to them, it's quite therapeutic and th- cathartic, people report. So that can happen as well. They can also call a submission, write a little note, draw a picture, yeah. any way that they want to communicate what's happened to them. Fred made a video. He made a little, yep. um, yeah. So yeah, and I actually didn't know this until Lou pointed it out to me, which is which is why I am, because I'm sure lots of other people are the same. I thought you had to do like the form, and it's a big form. Um, but no, like no. kids aren't going to do an essay, but they might make like a little YouTube style video, or they can do whatever they want. Re- yeah, on a recording or Write yeah, a poem. It can be anything. And, and I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing. And people don't know and it's so frustrating. Mm. And I'm, that's why I'm so annoyed that I'm no longer in that role because it's stupid cancer because I was really like, you know, feeling yeah. like I could speak about that. So I will keep speaking about it. And we've got a few more months left. Let's see what we can do and get the numbers up for WA. Yes, let's do it. I will okay. keep hustling you if we don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Simone, let's sign off now. Um, Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm really glad this is my first post-cancer diagnosis interview. Um, It's been really good. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Acknowledgements. Thank you to Carla Cushell of Carla Cushell Creative for the podcast logo and the website. Editing by Matt Cushell. Images and episode quotes are the work of Jazzy C. Music is also by Jazzy C. Finally, a big thank you to my friends and family for encouraging me. As always, thank you to my partner in everything, Ash Cushell. And remember, Just be nice to one another.